Today's guest is a transformational coach and leadership expert, Nicholas Johnny. For the last 50 years now, Nicholas has explored personal development through many lenses, was at Buddhist monasteries, the wilderness in Poland, or making music in the Ivory Coast. So I'm excited to dive deep today into peak performance presence and what it takes to level up your game. So Nicholas, welcome to the show. Thank you, Max. Great to be here. Now, I told you before, <laughs> before we started this already, is you have this, this presence and this stillness and this calm around you that really attracted me and this why I wanted to get you on the show. So what does presence mean to you? Great question. <laughs> <laughs> so the simplest definition I can give of presence is presence is multi-level connectedness. So connectedness to all parts of who I or we are. So that means connectedness to my body, connectedness to my emotions without condition. We need to talk more about that. <laughs> connectedness to all parts of my mental capacity, right brain and left brain. Connectedness to my passion and purpose. And all of that held in a connection to a much deeper, basically a more transcendent space. So that's like the fifth, I use the model of the four, five elements. Earth, the physical, water, the emotional, air, the mental, fire, the purpose, and ether, which is the invisible element, which contains them all and is the connection to a deeper stillness or emptiness. That's true presence. <laughs> and true presence means I am here and I am available. In, in, in that simple sentence, there is a profound meaning because I am available means I'm available to relate to the world. I'm available to feel you. I'm available to feel my environment. I'm available to receive higher levels of insight and so on. I am here and I am available. And I believe we, if we really choose, we are on a lifelong journey to the deeper and deeper experience of that. And, you know, we were talking about the IMT. I was there last week and one of the delegates said, on the second day, she said, you know, Nicholas, this is the first time I really understand how we misuse the word available and what the deeper meaning is. Because we have it all the time on WhatsApp. I'm available. No, <laughs> not really. And, you know, the other thing, Max, that I, I see more and more is that we live in a myth of connectivity that actually covers the fact that there is very little connection. And that leads to a lot of what I call the culture of absence, which is a culture of absence, we normalize that. We normalize that we talk to people, but we don't feel them. We normalize the fact that we're not embodied. We normalize the fact that we don't feel nature. It's normal until we wake up and we realize what a small reality we're living in and that so much more is possible. That becomes then a, a culture of presence, but it's multi-level connectedness. 
Love that. So if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly here, it really means that physically, oftentimes we're there, right? We're physically available, right? We're on WhatsApp, like you say, right? So like we are reachable, you can call us, but emotionally and spiritually, we're just not exactly. actually present with the person. Exactly. Right? But even physically, Max, because I mean, I've been working with the body. It was always the core part of my work. And, you know, it's like if you go to a gym, most of what you see is people doing stuff to their body. That is not the same as being embodied. And we really need to get the difference. When we were kids, we were totally embodied. Meaning that our moment-to-moment experience of life, we felt it in our body. That's what embodied means. It doesn't mean doing stuff to your body. It's the same with dancers. Some, you can look at two dancers, both of whom do elaborate things with their body. One is embodied and one, the other is not. And there is a huge difference in what they transmit. So... It's the work with the body. That's why disciplines like yoga, qigong, all of those disciplines are so important because they open us back into our body. You walk out into the street after a good yoga class and in that moment you're in a different reality because your whole system is more awake. That's what being physically available means. Love that. So I think this is so important to not be checked out, right? And that's exactly, thing, what you're exactly. referring to, right? It's like when you're at the gym or when you're running, you have music in there to distract yourself. Exactly. Or people you always do things great. to distract yourself, to get exactly. away from exactly. the feeling that I have in the moment because it's unpleasant sometimes, right? It's painful sometimes. And so people want to disconnect and they want to get rid of that. That's very true. Yeah. And here we need to look a bit deeper at the, exactly the way you say it because one of the main reasons we check out, I believe, is because we're all of us carrying levels of unintegrated emotional experience that we had to exclude because they were too much or too painful or too or not acceptable. We had to. And we stay checked out because there are very few environments where we can be emotionally unconditional. And I'm not talking about, you know, overdramatic expression. I'm talking about being able, like in a leader's team meeting, it's a very high culture where people are allowed to say sometimes, I feel a lot of fear right now. And the leader doesn't try to fix it, doesn't analyze it, doesn't try to change it, just probably says, I think we're probably all feeling that. Let's just acknowledge that. That's what's needed. We don't have to go into drama, but we have to include exactly how we're feeling. And very, very few cultures do that. We're so phobic about emotion. Yes. You know, and we also like we carry therefore totally wrong beliefs. Like most people believe fear blocks us. If I ask in a group, how many of you here believe fear blocks you? Everyone puts their hand up, but it's not true. What, what blocks us is that we block fear. What do you mean because, by that? Well, what I mean is that, uh, let's say we were working together and I was coaching you and it's obvious that you carry, we touch a certain level of anxiety in you. 
we all carry different types of anxiety and you feel safe enough to just feel it to stop resisting it to stop trying to fix it but just to let that feeling because you feel safe enough what will almost always happen is you'll get much more embodied like your energy will open usually down and suddenly you'll feel much more integrated so fear didn't block you on the contrary feeling fear actually opened you feeling sadness melts our heart most men in my certainly most corporate men really need to cry more wow it's very simple really need to cry more because we're walking around many of us as men our hearts were numbed and there are so many men in the world with numb hearts and that's not a good not a good situation yeah. <laughs> because when our heart is numb we can't really care we can't really care i really honestly believe that many men need to cry a lot more than they do yeah so it's about vulnerability right yeah the power of yeah like you say those emotions exactly and also show them to the world robot i call it robust vulnerability meaning i'm here and i can acknowledge what i'm feeling and I can let you see what I'm feeling and we can share what we're feeling because then we get much more connected to each other. Mm -hmm. Deeper vulnerability is a real connecting factor. And we spend so much time avoiding it, like trying to be in this kind of island of invulnerability. And then we wonder why we, we wonder why we're tired. <laughs> and we wonder why we're not performing at our highest potential. You know, it's really interesting in leadership teams I work with very often when finally, and it may take two days, but let's say the group can sit together in small groups and just acknowledge fear. You know what happens almost immediately? Suddenly a whole flood of new ideas come in. Wow. Because our nervous system relaxes instead of fighting the fear. No. We just include it and suddenly there's like download of, of new ideas. So yeah, the emotional is super important in all of this. Yes, absolutely. It's super interesting because actually today I was at my company running a workshop on the signs of happiness. And part of what we were doing was really this exercise where walk people through really defining their biggest fears so they could actually, you know, actively acknowledge the things that are really scaring them, the things that are really holding them back. And it was beautiful to see, right? Because people like, you just see that oftentimes the fears that are holding us back or we think are holding us back, first of all, maybe aren't that bad, right? And secondly, <laughs> actively feeling them, we yeah. realize we can deal with it. Exactly. We realize we can bring up the courage to actually engage yeah. with it. And I think it's this engagement with those emotions right. exactly. that, said, exactly. that oftentimes are unexamined, right? That oftentimes we don't want to feel. It's this exactly. you know, willingness to engage with that over and over and over again. Exactly. It's so powerful. Yeah, and you said something really important there, Max, about this whole idea that we have a lot of ideas about what holds us back. But in the end, what really holds us back is a lack of inner coherence. And coherence means I'm here, I feel, and I am in my body. And they, and they operate as one. Because actually, I mean, this is a big part of my coaching work as well. Most adults, when you, when you say, tell me how you're feeling right now emotionally, 
very few adults will tell you. Yeah. They can't. They can't. Their mind will go off into all kinds of stories and interpretations. So in that moment, there's a process happening here and the mind is going off, 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 off. That's the definition of incoherence. When someone can actually say, yeah, you know, I, I, I feel some anxiety right now and I'm not going to explain it or I'm just going to articulate this is what's happening in my inner world right now. There's a coherence. Mind, feeling and body become one. And that sounds simple, but it's a huge practice because it corrects the way we got used to escaping yes. or, or distracting ourselves. It's a huge step that when someone is able to do that. I know leadership teams who start their meetings by going around the table and each person just says in one sentence exactly how they're feeling, whatever it is. That could be, I really pissed off to be here right now. I don't want to be here. But that is just heard. Nothing to fix, I hear you. And guess what? Five minutes later, that person is probably in full flow in the meeting because they were allowed to be exactly as they are. That takes a very mature leader to hold that kind of space and not be frightened by that, you know? And we don't have many leaders like that. Someone at the IMT told me last week, she said, my leader, he says, are you happy? That's all he wants to know. Are you happy or not? I mean, seriously, that's the kind of bullshit leadership we're in the rest of the time. You know, yeah, I mean, how one dimensional is that? Yeah. That means that that leader is totally unable to meet his own emotions. And therefore there's no way he's going to let you say, I'm a bit scared right now. I feel sad because this is happening or whatever. Yeah, that's the beautiful thing about this robust vulnerability, right? That by opening up myself, I also yes. give you the opportunity to say, I'm not feeling good today. Like I'm tired. I've got a headache. Maybe something's going on and something's really bothering. Exactly. The only way to create that, right, is as a leader to step up and say, this is how I feel. You're absolutely it's beautiful. You're so right, Max. Because in a team, like I said, in that meeting, if the leader says, you know, I think we're all feeling a bit anxious right now, or many of us are, I am, let's just acknowledge that. It's like a huge relief. And you're absolutely right. It has to be modeled by the leader. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. But you know, it's so interesting, right? Because when it comes to leadership, people oftentimes talk about these management techniques. They talk about, you know, how to do all this stuff. But at the end of the day, so much of it is really this interpersonal connection that you're building with the people right. and even right. more so the, the intrapersonal connection, right? The right. Like exactly. relationship with yourself that you exactly. need to master as a leader is, you know, right. any kind of leader, right? Whether it's right. a business, whether it's in your family life with your friends, you need to first understand that inner connection with yourself before right. you then go out, right? And change the world. You're right. Exactly. And I'm, I'm actually co-writing a new leadership book at the moment um, with an African-American mm -hmm. CEO who's in charge of 75,000 people. Wow. Um, but as I write, it, it's so obvious to me that you know people are put in leadership positions where they affect thousands sometimes tens of thousands of people and there is virtually no inner 
development as part of that training. I, it's really shocking. Yes. It's really shocking. There's like token personal development, but it's not deep. Yeah. It's not a deep path of knowing yourself, developing yourself. And it's crazy. And you're going to affect tens of thousands of people. Yes, very true. And this, this idea of also emotional contagion to me is so interesting. Right. And how I feel also affects you, right? So if I don't deal with my emotions, what that means is that my anger, my frustration, my anxiety is also going to jump over to you and it's going to pull totally. you down. Totally. It's almost irresponsible totally. not to work on these things. I 100% agree. And yet that is what happens a lot of the time. Unfortunately, yes. Unfortunately, yes. So then how do people, you know, listening to this, how do we begin to really start create this coherence in their lives where they sort of align these five different areas in one? Right. Um, well, that's a very big question. <laughs> yes, it is a big question. I probably can <laughs> But it's great. There's, I mean, there's a lot the, to do. But, but just to give people... So the first, yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is... Um, because there is some work we can do on our own, but there's a really, really important part of this developmental work that we need to do in community, even with one other person. But so one of the, my responses, as you asked me that was, we all need to have small groups, let's say to start with, where we can hold the space for each other to be really authentic. That's really important resource. I have two such triads where we meet regularly and we hold 25 minutes for you, 25 minutes for you, 25 minutes for me, because we know how to do it. And we're not trying to fix each other. We're trying to give each, actually trying to give each other space to feel more. Because we can't do that alone. Because on, on our own, we naturally meet our protection mechanisms that we needed to create. It's very hard to go past those on our own. I need to feel someone there holding the space for me, which is of course is what I do in my coaching. That's why I do very deep work in my coaching um, because we need, we need to do that together, whether it's with peers or in a coaching or mentorship. The physical side, of course, that we can do on our own. Once we realize, I don't really feel my body. Okay, we're in an epoch where there are so much available. You know, people need to find a good practice that's really committed. And by the way, it's no coincidence that many, many people say they do their best thinking when they're being physical. Yeah. You know, that's proof. That's already more coherence. My body is open and energized. Guess what? I have better ideas. So yeah, I would. I think everyone needs to to have a really serious um, physical practice that is much more than doing something to my body. Yeah, but it really corporate. It's about connecting. It's about connecting. It's about connecting. The emotional work I think we need to do in, in community, whether that's with one person or small groups. Um, then of course there's the, the mental work. Yeah, we need to be very careful because I, Einstein 
he said many amazing things. But one thing he said was, we need to know whether our mind is our master or our servant. That's a really simple but very big question. Yes. <laughs> and, and what does that mean? That means, am I locating myself deeper than my mind? That's where meditative mindfulness practices come in. That's an essential part of our development. Essential. Because that loosens my, uh, it loosens my whole structure and my whole limited perception. There's a very beautiful metaphor in the Jewish mystical tradition where they say that if you open the page of a book, any book, you have all the black letters, but you also have a white page. And really the fixation we're in a lot of the time is that we're, we're, we're only engaged with the black letters. So the whole point of a meditative practice is that it opens us to the white page and little by little, not just during our time meditating, but that little by little we walk through the day being able to be in both. That's a mastery practice that I'm fully engaged horizontally, let's say, but I also have this kind of vertical Rumi said it beautifully. Rumi said, live in the nowhere that you came from, even though you have an address here. <laughs> Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful. And that's, you know, that's really deep. And so having a, having a very serious mindfulness meditation practice, which I teach a lot, and I teach people, what are the, little mechanisms as you go through your day that keep keep at least a first level of that white page open. And one of those practices is to keep an awareness in my body, an awareness, not a thinking, that whatever I'm doing, whether I'm sitting, walking, in a meeting, that I learned to have a, like an inner sensing of my body open. So I notice my breathing, I notice my legs, I notice my inner space. And to keep that open more and more is a very transformative practice while I fully engage. That's a, that's a big part of being more available because being available doesn't mean I'm, I'm out there like that. <laughs> Being available means I'm here, I'm here, and I receive the world, I receive you, I feel you, I feel the world, because I'm here. And a big part of I'm here is I feel my body. So this is a, these are simple but very transformational practices. Another beautiful image that I, I received a long time ago from my Zen meditation teacher. He said that any, at any one moment, we're either on a forward circle or a backward circle. And if we're on a forward circle, get off it. <laughs> because a forward circle means I'm coming up and out of myself. A backward circle is I'm always, it's like I'm coming back to base. 
metaphorically, but also physically. You know, most people are energetically up, up, and they don't realize it. So coming back down, coming back down, feeling my body more. So I work a lot with people on this. And then to keep this idea of it's like a check. Am I on a forward circle in a meeting? Or am I on a backward circle where I feel here? And then almost automatically, there'll be a little bit more white page. Now we can, you know, the white page is a very deep um, dimension because ultimately the white page is eternity. <laughs> That's a big word to bring in, but yes. you know, it's like when you, you, you talk about athletes, when, when sports or athletes people are fully in the zone, one of the th ways they always describe it is they feel they have all the time in the world. That means that without, they don't, I don't think they realize the full implication of what they're experiencing. They don't realize what a spiritual experience they're having basically, because in that moment, they're in a kind of eternity consciousness. Yes. They also say, I know where everyone is, like on the soccer pitch or basketball field, you know, I know uh, everyone. So they've really on the white page in that moment and they're fully engaging with the black letters. That's why it's so interesting, this whole thing of flow. And, and musicians will say the same thing. When they're really in that flow, they're hyper listening to every little nuance because they are resting in the white page. So this, you know, I'm, this is deep, deep practice. Yes, no, I love it. It's, it's interesting because actually two days ago on my run, I run like every day. Great. Two days ago, it was the last <clears> time where I really got into this flow state, right? It was, it was raining, it was windy. I went out there in the morning before work. And <laughs> it was beautiful, right? Right, like, right. There were people would think it's, it's horrible circumstances, right? You just get cold, you're freezing. But to me, it's this trigger that actually like allows me to almost become free in my mind, right? right? It allows me to sort of transcend the, the normal life. Right, right. The normal thinking of myself and, and really go bigger and see it and experience the whole world beautiful. in such a clear way. And right. that's beautiful. Yeah, because it's like what I hear and feel when you say that is that like you became one with the elements. Yes. Instead of... Mm -hmm. Resist. You said, "Okay, I'm gonna get wet. It's windy. Yes, exactly. Let me like, feel yeah, that. Let me feel like, <laughs> that. Let me feel that. Yes, that's and beautiful. Really, once you beautiful, once you start yeah. to engage with these exactly. things, like, actively, exactly. even feel the pain sometimes. Right? There's so yeah, much yeah. more beautiful I find than you know. You try to hide from it. You try to run from it. You try to distract yourself with junk food, with movies, exactly. all of the stuff to just keep those feelings distant. Right. Right. Now, I want to go back for a second, though, because you said something really interesting about this, this energy piece, right? Okay. And then oftentimes we, we get too much energy, right? And so how, how do you uh -huh. see that, like the, the energy versus sort of this, this calmness? Because to me, for example, yeah. and that's why I'm so curious, is I love this high-level energy, right? This is really where I feel my best oftentimes, where I feel really just super you know, motivated and driven and stuff. So how do you see that and then the relationship sort of to this Okay. calming down again and you know going that's quiet. A, that's a really great question and i think really important for you as well because you have such a strong energy 
<clears throat> it's like um, our energy, however strong our energy is, it needs to be fully grounded. It needs to be fully grounded in order, apart from anything else, that people feel safe with it. Because if people say to you, which it sounds like occasionally they do, Max, your energy is too much. Yes. There is a, that only happens when you are not fully earthed. And on the one hand, that's a very physical, um, it has a very physical component, meaning that you, in my work, I talk about really being in your base, which is your pelvis, and feeling your legs on the ground. That's how we are designed to be, that the body, when our body is open, it's, it's a container for the energy. Whereas sometimes I get for you, most people don't have enough energy. So you, you have a different kind of developmental issue, which is great. You have a lot of energy, but for you, the steps would be, okay, what does it mean to be more and more grounded, more and more earth, so that then my energy transmits to people in a way that, that lights them up. And they don't feel they need, oh, Max, your energy is a bit too much right now. Does it make sense? Yes, I love how you capture that. And I, I think, to your point, like probably 90% of the time, it is this beautiful energy, right? Where like people respond and they love it, right? But like you say, sometimes, maybe 10% of the time, people are like, it's too much right now, right? right? right. <laughs> you're jumping around here, you're, you're full of energy, like, you know, right. chihuahua on crack, like it's too much. <laughs> right, right, right. So I love what you're right. saying here. And I totally agree that sometimes I think when you have so much energy, right, which I've realized with you even, like I'm calming down actively, sort of responding to your energy, which is beautiful. Right. Um, yeah, that's because, taking it back. yeah, that's because there's a, there's there's a kind of transmission going on while we're talking from my base to your base. Yeah. It's like walkie-talkie. <laughs> <laughs> but because the grounding is very visceral. It's, it's very visceral. And even if you just for a moment bring your awareness down to your lower belly and your, your pelvis, and you let yourself breathe down there. You relax your breathing and you feel your legs. Right. Yeah, so something, you see something starts to have more base. Yes. That's the stillness. Because otherwise, when I was teaching acting, which I did for 20 years, I used to have a lovely little image, which I called riding the tiger. <laughs> riding the tiger. Yeah. As opposed to getting eaten by the tiger. <laughs> you know, and like, you know, great arts performances, we feel the musician or the actor or dancer is like so energized but you also feel they're containing it. You don't want to go to a theater and see an actor crying uncontrollably where you feel, oh my God, they've lost, you know, I need to take care of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, <laughs> means, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that means the tiger has eaten. 
And riding the tiger is the whole state of our nervous system and our body, which is very grounded. Then we can have really strong energy and, and people feel not only very safe with it, they feel inspired by it. So it's a mixture, it's a, like a stillness within the energy, but it's a very visceral uh, stillness as well. You know, I absolutely love that. Like even in the, the, that minute when I was just quiet and focusing on, on my breathing, right? Focusing on my legs, like even there I could feel like I was, I was really taking that in, right? And calming down. It was so right. beautiful, right? Right. And I think that's right. such an amazing thing that like it happens so quickly. Right. right? You don't need to yeah. go out and meditate for half no. an hour. No. Right? no. You can literally do it sitting at your no. desk at work, right? right? In the right. train station, whatever it is. And that is so Yeah, beautiful. and that's also, you see, that's also a beautiful example of because we're very connected right now, which is also why it can yes. go quicker because we're very open in our, in our, contact right yes for sure now i want to switch gears here a little bit sure. i talked about lots of great stuff but yeah, I really yeah. as i promised you i want to dive into your story because i think there's some really cool stories ideas <laughs> in there right <laughs> and so you had these you had these big leaps oftentimes in your life yeah right? yeah, yeah, yeah looking at from the outside it's it's like it goes away from this calm and stillness more into this adventurous mode, right? <laughs> totally, yeah. Yeah, I did a lot of crazy, I did a lot of crazy stuff. Yes, yeah, so you really uprooted your life, moved to the other side of the world. <laughs> exactly, literally, yeah. Because yeah. I had, I mean, it all started for me age 16. And it, it was like, I don't know, looking back, you know, a friend of mine at school said, my grandmother is a Buddhist nun. She lives in a Tibetan monastery in Scotland. Do you want to come visit her? Yeah. And we thought, yeah, why not? You know, a bit of a laugh, age 16. Yeah, uh, right, you don't take it seriously. No, up we go. It's all very exotic. It, it's a, now a very famous place. Um, then it was one house. But anyway, in the middle of that week, I was sitting in our room and I was just reading a Buddhist text without any particular intention. And... It, I think it was literally in one moment, it was like this huge curtain opened because suddenly I knew with total certainty what this text was talking about, which was basically all about, we live in a very small version of reality and there is a much bigger one available. And it was like, there was no going back after that. So obviously at age 16, that was a lot to digest. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, but that set my life, basically. That set my life on a, on a kind of hunger uh, to really explore that more and more, which is why whenever I met someone or something that I felt would really take me further, I just went for it, even if it meant dropping everything. Um, yeah, which I did on, you know, on several occasions. So, and then, and then I, uh, there was a point where I realized I came, I came from an art, an artistic family. So I was always going to head into the arts and my father was a famous film producer. So I didn't want to go into film, but I, I chose theater almost by default. And then I, there was a moment where I encountered my great Polish mentor, and that was like, oh, wow, thank goodness. Here's someone who makes theater into such a deep spiritual path. 
And that was like 20 years of work, really exploring what happened when the actor completely opened, when all the actor's systems, body, emotion, imagination, opened and became one. And you know, that was amazing work. What would happen in the rehearsal room was like these epic kind of moments of intensity. Um, yeah, so, and then there were, you know, there was music in Africa, that was a big thing as well, and Japan, and, and then studying with the Hawaiian kahuna. There was a point where I was in London and a fr I heard a friend of mine speak on the phone and he said something about kahuna, I'd never heard the word. And I said, what, what was that? And he said, oh, there's this Hawaiian spiritual master visiting London. He's giving a talk next Wednesday. And I said, okay, can I be there? It was in someone's house. Wow. And this guy, you know, the moment I heard him talk and he demonstrated his body work, it was like, whoa, I need to study with this guy. So a month later, I was in Hawaii. So what were the things that you learned from these different teachers about theater, about, you know, breath work, about artwork, about life that really inspired you? It's all coming together now. So uh, I'm trying to find a simple way to say it. Basically, it was always an ex it was always an exploration of totally different modalities of perception and of experiencing the world. Now I see it very simply, but you know, the best simplicity is the result of years. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because now, now what I see and teach is that there are literally two dimensions of reality. There's the conceptual dimension where we think about everything and as Einstein said, our mind is the dominant modality. And that's mostly what we're in. But there is also a, an energetic, felt, sensed part of reality. And we need, to, we need to loosen the grip of our conceptual mind. Not to throw it out, but most people need to bring their feeling body up to the same pitch as their mental body because then we're in a, our real potential. Because in my feeling body, I can feel you, I can feel your energy very precisely, very precisely. It's not psychic, that's what our bodies are meant to be able to do. We're meant to be able to calibrate the world in a sensory felt way. And then when my thinking body combines with that then i'm in true potential wow so you know that's in a way what everything has brought me to so when i work with groups or individuals i call it top down and bottom up work and the top down work is we need to do meditative practice we need to open the white page the bottom up work is we need to get into all the emotional stuff we've buried and what i i mean the last training i did which was five years of really intensive training opened up a whole other dimension for me of seeing feeling 
ancestral material that's passed down in our systems and needs to be addressed, needs to be addressed. And also sometimes really collective layers of, of trauma that we carry in our system and we don't realize we're, we're carrying them. What do you mean by that? Can you tell me more? Um, well, the ancestral will be, you know, here's a very simple sentence. Hurts, emotional hurts, are passed down through the generations until someone is ready to feel them. There's a new field called epigenetics where they really are verifying that. I mean, we've learned that for a long time, but it's gradually getting verified scientifically. So sometimes if I'm working with someone and they touch, we start to open and they, they touch a certain level of emotion, there can be a point where we realize that part of this emotion has been passed down. It came down because it was never resolved before. Wow. And that's the sort of transcendent throughout genes to next yeah. generation. I mean, an obvious example of that is second generation Holocaust. You know, if your grandparents were in Auschwitz and it, obviously it was not dealt, the trauma of that was just so horrendous. It wasn't processed. And probably your parents were very, very, still very frozen. You will be carrying that in your genes. And that will be affecting the whole way you experience the world until you realize that that needs to be felt. So collective is just a bigger version of that. For instance, um, okay, we're getting into kind of delicate territory, yes, but um, I'm doing a lot of work now with women and men healing together in groups. Part of that, like many, many women carry deep inside them rage. And that rage can be partly because of what they experienced in their childhood or even what they experience now in the world. But that rage also has a, goes back generations. Because for generations, women have been murdered, raped, suppressed. We are still in a culture where although it looks like we're more equal, we're very deeply not equal. So that rage needs to have a place. And when women are allowed to feel that rage, wow, their whole system comes into ignition. But many women don't even fully realize they're carrying that rage until the space is created where I can feel it. For men, it's often more about grief. Um, so this is like a deeper level of the emotional work as well, but also visceral because this is in our bodies. It's in our bodies. So it's a bit like my, my kind of picture expanded, but also my attunement expanded. Because when we're working in a group, it's very precise when we're touching either a very personal energy or a more ancestral energy or a more collective. And often it'll be all three, but we need to be very precise and feel the difference between them. 
that's a very sophisticated level of work in a way. But it's yeah, beautiful. Sure. It's beautiful. It's beautiful because we get really precise about what's what. Yeah, and it's super interesting because it seems like all of your work is really predicated on this idea that the more we can get in touch with our feelings, the more we can really learn to understand ourselves. Exactly. Even our own exactly. trauma, our own hurts, our totally. pain, totally. all those things that really, you know, those yeah. old stories yeah. that in sixth grade you were made fun of, right? The more yeah, we yeah. can engage with that, the more we can actually live and love life. Right. Exactly. That I love this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you one other very visceral example because I, I work with several African American, very senior leaders. And there is there's always a point where we need to get into however successful they are, and they are, we need, we touch the point where they are still carrying the imprint of slavery in their system. And it, it's a whole layer of their feeling perception of the world that they didn't realize they were carrying, but was that which is actually affecting their lives much more than they realized. And it's like we go into a cave with a torch and we see what we find. Mm -hmm. And, and what, in that case, what we find is something that goes back generations. That's just passed on. It's passed on until we see it and feel it. And then it starts to dissipate. Yes, that is, that is beautiful. And I think it shows there's so many ways in which even our past can affect us, right? Exactly. And we need to actively engage with it yeah. rather than keep hiding from exactly. it. Because yeah. it's the only way to really yeah. get in touch with yeah. life. Yeah. Now, Nicholas, I'm a huge fan of this idea of memento mori. This idea that you're going to remember death, right? The day that you're going to die, so you can sort of backtrack from that and see how you actually want to live so the day you die you know <laughs> it's a very morbid topic but what do you want written on your tombstone he was present no one asked me that before it's a beautiful question it is i think an important thing to keep in mind right because mm -hmm. so oftentimes we get so caught up in external success and you know, always looking at the outside world and what we want to achieve and what we want to do. And we get so obsessed with that, but really asking ourselves at the end of the day, when my life's over, right? Yeah. And that's where I've learned is it can be over so quickly. Right. Then I love, I love that. What do you want to stand for, right? I as love, a person. I love that. I love that. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. Nice. Yeah. I think it's something important to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one other question I ask every one of my guests is we love to celebrate failure on the show as an opportunity to step up and build more character. So throughout your career, throughout your life, do you have a big favorite failure in your life that people can learn from? Um, most of my, what I, you, what I could call, look back and call failure, have been um, where actually I was um, too impulsive. On the one hand, it's been my best quality because like, I went to the other side of the world without hesitation. <laughs> but um, in conflicts, there are times when I've been, I look back and I think, okay, you needed to sit back a bit more before you wrote something or before you said something. Or I would say that's been a big, big learning for me and one I'm still working on. Yeah, it's a continuous process, it's right? It's a continuous process because I'm, I've, you know, I have very, I have a lot of energy and um, I also have a lot of, you know, on the one hand, I have uh, 
I think one of my highest qualities is my devotion and my non-compromise. And then that has a, you know, that has a side where the non-compromise, I need to be careful occasionally, still. Mm -hmm. Love that self-awareness. Yeah, yeah. It's a great question. Yeah. What, what do you think is the number one thing holding people back from becoming more present in their lives? The lack of a safe space to meet themselves more deeply. So it's really about finding people around us. Yes, exactly. That actively acknowledge and want yeah. the almost yeah. this. Yeah, like let's, let's call it like little cultures of presence mm. where we can really open to all that we are, the highest and the darkest without condition. Absolutely love that. Mm. Now, Nicholas, before I ask my final question, where can listeners connect with you online? So what's your favorite website, social media, whatever it is? Yeah, thank you, Rex. My website is nicholasyanni.com. I'm proud of my website because it, it's quite new and it really has got a lot of material on it. Um, I have a great online training program. You'll see details of that on the, on the website. I think that's the best place to start. NicholasYandy.com. Fantastic. Going to link to yeah. that then. Now, my final question is, what is your quest for greatness? So what is that big vision that you want to bring into this world? Mm -hmm. I want to create more and more and bigger and bigger circles and cultures of true presence, which I believe as, as we maybe in a situation of kind of gradual disintegration are even more important yeah on all levels so that we respond and support from our highest possibilities <laughs>